listening to SBS On The Money with Ricardo Gonsalves. Hi everyone, it's your daily 10-minute business and finance news wrap for this Thursday, the 14th of October 2021. Later, we'll take a look at the US inflation story and what it means for the share market. But first, to Australia's unemployment report, where 138,000 jobs were lost in the month of September. That's the month New South Wales and Victoria were in lockdown. But the unemployment rate rose only slightly from 4.5% to 4.6%. To break down the numbers, I spoke earlier with Sarah Hunter, the Chief Economist at BIS Oxford Economics. Sarah, how would you describe the state of the labour market at the moment? Uh, Well, definitely challenging, and this is referring to the September data that we just got. Um, Clearly challenging uh, in the lockdown states and territories, so New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT. And before we dive into the detail on that, it is probably worth noticing uh, that outside of those states, actually the labour market looks pretty healthy. In some states, very healthy. Uh, Queensland saw uh, employment increase by 1.2% on the month, which is really uh, quite a sharp bounce. And the unemployment rate in Western Australia down at 4.1%. Um, and there's no COVID disruption or anything like that that's driving that. That is just the health of that economy. So um, outside of lockdowns, um, actually, the labour market looks pretty healthy and robust, which is obviously great. But overall, those lockdown states and territories definitely dominating the national headline. So that national headline rate of 4.6%, it's still relatively low. Does it really tell the story? No, that's the thing. It really doesn't tell the story. Uh, And there's a couple of things going on there. Uh, So the the first of those is that those people in New South Wales, Victoria and the ACT who can't work at the moment because of lockdowns, uh, for those groups, they're now being counted really as not in the labour force. Uh, And this is a bit different to last year when they were actually counted as employed. And the reason for that difference is that last year we had JobKeeper, which uh, was paid by your employer. And so you were still counted as employed if you're receiving it. This year we have COVID disaster payments and although the payments themselves are the same in terms of the monetary value, because they're coming from the government, not your employer, if you're receiving one and you're not working, then you're counted as not in the labour force rather than employed. So that's one part of it. The other part of it as well is that for um, those people who were unemployed pre-Delta in those lockdown states, at the moment, uh, as recipients of Job Seeker, they don't have to look for work. Obviously, the labour market is very challenging. There's not a job to find when uh, we're in lockdown. But because they're not actively looking for work, they're also not counted uh, as being employed as being unemployed. Sorry. So those two things together are artificially depressing our count on the unemployed and therefore the unemployment rate. I guess the economy is still not at its full potential. There'll be people out there working, still wanting to work more. Also, what does the underemployment rate say about the labour market and the, the future challenges that may be about? Yeah, absolutely. There are, that's another group of people who are you know, impacted by lockdown, but still working a bit, but not as much as they want. It's, it's risen and it's highest in those lockdown states above 10%. So um, there is a, a decent pool of people there that want to work more hours, that we need to get them back into working more hours before we get a tight labour market. And, and this is going to be the recovery um, challenge, if you like, as we come out of lockdown now through the back end of this year um, and then get into that full recovery phase in 2022. It's getting the people back into work that lost their jobs. It's getting the hours up for those people that are still working but want to work more. And it's getting the people that were even pre 
Delta who weren't in work that wanted to be getting them back into work as well. So there's a you know there's lots of uh, spare capacity and, and certainly that's what we've got to work through in terms of the recovery. That's a key issue, isn't it? The, the, the market's really tight. So as businesses open up right now in New South Wales, we're hearing some hospitality venues delaying opening up uh, to the extent in which they could. So they're potentially just go, doing takeaway only because they don't have the staff. Just how serious is this issue and how do we fix it? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one for hospitality in particular because they've obviously had such a tough run being forced to shut or at least, you know, go just down to takeaway. And, and now they look to open up and they can't. I, I think that there's a few issues going on here. There's obviously some frictions around vaccination status and that sort of thing that the sector will have to work through. And, and that hopefully is temporary, but is very much impacting at the moment. Uh, and there's also, you know, frictions around getting people back in. You might be advertising for for someone and it just takes time to hire. I think any small business owner will tell you that uh, you can't sort of get people straight away. Um, the other facet, though, for hospitality, which is really interesting, is that's a sector that typically pre-COVID would um, rely on uh, international overseas migrants for a lot of its workforce, students, uh, some of the working holiday visa groups, other temporary workers that come through the country. So they don't have access to that pool, or at the very least, it's a much smaller pool than it would normally be. Um, and that creates a challenge as well. So yeah, it's, it's difficult. They're sort of getting buffeted in all directions. They weren't allowed to operate for so long, and now they are, but then they, they can't necessarily get the workers that they need. And, and that transition and how we manage without those migrants is also going to be an important piece of the recovery. Sarah Hunter there. Now, given that tight labour market, I also ask Sarah if we'll see wages rising substantially and the implications for the Reserve Bank. Yeah, it's a good question. I think uh, what we are going to ultimately get to a point where a tighter labour market will uh, result in wage increases. And actually, we can see that if we look at other countries where the labour markets are much tighter and they, they're not operating with restrictions. They don't have lockdowns anymore. They just uh, there are shortages of labour and it's driving some wage increases. So that channel is still there. And that's that's important to note because that's what we want and that's what we're relying on. Uh, in terms of when do we get there, I do think it will take uh, a bit of time. I think as we open up and as we get pa people back into the labour force, back into work, we're probably likely to see a, a bounce back up in the unemployment rate. So uh, not a big one, but I do think that we will see that, you know, those people that are job seeker recipients, they have to look for work again, we count them as unemployed. Some of those people who, you know, lost a job as a result of Delta, it'll take them a bit of time to find another one. We'll ca start ca counting them as well. So I think that spare capacity will, it'll become apparent that there is still a bit of spare capacity to be used up and, and that's the recovery through 2022. So I think into 23, that's the point in time where I expect that we'll start to get some pressure on wages. In terms of rate rises and the current uh, pressures coming through inflation, um, I do think that um, a decent chunk of those pressures are transitory, particularly around fuel prices and some of the price moves we're seeing on global supply chains. They will resolve globally. We can't do much about those here in Australia. The RBA won't respond to them as a result. It doesn't make sense to respond to a higher petrol price. They can't influence it. Um, it's that second round um, you know, domestic inflationary pressure that they're going to be looking out for. I think we'll start to get there towards the end of next year into 2023. So I think we will actually see an earlier rate rise than the RBA have currently penciled in, more like mid-23 for me. Uh, but yeah, the risks, could it be sooner? Absolutely. And if it is sooner, that's actually a good thing because it means the economy is performing better. Demand is stronger. The labour market is stronger. I think that's something we all want to see. 
Sarah Hunter there, the Chief Economist at BIS Oxford Economics. From the economy to the share market, which did rise today, the S&P ASX 200 up 0.5%, 7,311. For more, I spoke earlier with Chris Weston, the Head of Research at Pepperstone. Chris, the market's up today. Why? Ricardo, we've got this wall of worry out there. And pretty much every day, we're just climbing this wall of worry. You can throw CPI at the situation, stagflation, stagflation light, peak earnings. Yeah, what's going on in China with, with um, coupon payment defaults and, and missed coupons and various factors? You know, we come in every day and the market continues to, to, to find buyers. Um, it's climbing the wall of worry. And that's exactly what we're seeing today. We are seeing tech absolutely flying today. And I think you're probably going to go to our friend, the bond market on the back of that. Bond yields are lower. It's very, very positive for what we call duration assets like tech. Materials, sell 32, flying today. Inflation in the US is moving higher and people want to be in material stocks to hedge against that inflation. South 32, the material sector, absolutely piling on today. So it's been a really good day. Volumes are good. But you know, the fact is, is that we've built right from the outset and we're in line with Japan, but we've outperformed US and other markets there as well. So we are really climbing the wall of worry here. Okay, you mentioned inflation. Are we getting a clearer indication of just how entrenched it is, particularly in the US and globally, I guess? And what does that mean for rates in the US, which flows through to what happens to our share market and the potential uh, tapering of stimulus there? Well, we're gonna, we, we saw the minutes coming out from the Fed meeting. We are going to see the Fed looking to start tapering in November, in my opinion. I think it was a lock. Um, what's important is they'll probably, on their projections, they'll finish by mid next year. And we'll soon have $400 billion worth of asset purchases. They've tried to separate this idea that the end of tapering doesn't lead to interest rate hikes. What we've seen from inflation, though, suggests that these numbers are entrenched, that price pressures are entrenched in the markets. If you look at owner-occupied rent, which is 30% of the CPI box basket, it's just getting going and it's going to be moving higher. You know, rental numbers are, are looking pretty strong at the moment. And the transitory effects, such as airlines, they're, they're still down, they're subtracted from CPI, but they're falling at a slower pace there. So I think price pressures in the US are going to be here for a while. They're not going to continue at the pace we've seen, but they are not certainly looking as transitory as some people looked at. So the market has drawn a conclusion that we are going to see rate hikes next year, not just in the US, but in the UK, perhaps even in Australia as well. And that's the world that we're going to have to get used to. That's the way we need to think about positioning our portfolios. We're probably seeing some of that today. Okay, so what does it mean for the market and for currencies? It's a difficult one, Ricardo, because when we're looking at currency valuations, there's so many different moving parts. You've always got to look at what's correlated and what's driving it and what it's sensitive to. At this precise moment, we're going back to currency trading 101, which is the difference between yields that you're seeing there. And, and, and yields are driven by rate hike expectations. So you're seeing a situation now where in Japan, we're not looking for rate hikes you know, till the back end of the decade in Europe, somewhere similar. But in, in, in the US, in Australia and New Zealand, we've already seen the Kiwis do it. Uh, we've already seen Norway raising rates, emerging markets are doing it. You're seeing a, a divergence playing through and that's driving capital into those individual currencies. What I am concerned about right now, though, is that the market's got very excited about rate hikes and they've priced quite a lot in through the future curves going forward. Expectations for 2023, 24 have become quite rich. If they get too rich, I think that's where you know, risk assets become a little bit concerned that we may see a policy mistake. So we're not out of the woods. Again, it feeds into my argument of climbing the wall of worry. But right now, the markets have got excited about central banks raising rates on a consecutive basis. And I think that that screams that at some stage, the market may say, 
there's going to be a policy mistake and that could be bad for risk assets. Chris Weston there from Pepperstone. Don't forget you can listen to this as an audio stream on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Just search for SBS on the money. This SBS on the money podcast is provided for informational purposes only. Content on this podcast should not be understood as constituting advice or a recommendation. It is not personal advice and does not consider your personal circumstances or objectives. You should contact a licensed professional before making any financial decision. (laughs) 